today I'm joined by Michael J. Maguire, a writer, educator, entrepreneur, technologist, digital media artist and theorist. He's currently a senior lecturer at the Dublin Business School and course director for creative writing in a digital age, amongst a lot of other things. Join us for a talk on everything from gamification of marketing to the need to experiment with new technologies and lots more. Enjoy. So what I was yeah. going to ask you uh, when you talked about that just now, then, because I understand perfectly what you're saying about about people looking at uh, or addressing the world according to their own experiences and their, their own worldview. But what would consist? What would consist a revolution in in your mind if we're not looking at it as a revolution? Is it? Is it then the, taking up the pitchforks and overthrowing the Facebooks and the Twitters and the, the Googles of the world or the, the kings of the online world, so to speak? Well, I mean, this is the, I mean, this that statistic, the 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 uh, Oxfam surveys on poverty, etc., that show that you know uh, uh, the one percent owning more than forty two percent of the world's wealth. Uh, there's eight individuals in the world that that uh, own more than half of the planet. Stuff like yeah, this, you know, yeah. you know that kind of level of inequity or that kind of level of inequality or that just that that type of hoarding on a planet that is burning up slowly as a result of that hoarding. I mean, there's a there's a number of there's it's very convenient for us as individuals. Uh, and I mean, I, without getting into Monty Pythonisms and talking about you're all individuals, you know. <laughs> uh, um, you know, there, there, there's, it's very convenient for us to point the finger at. There's a guy called Curtis White, actually, who wrote a brilliant book called uh, uh, "The Barbarian Heart" or "The Barbarian Heart." Yeah. Uh, and you know, in which he talks about this very thing. He talks about the idea that uh, that we can just point a finger at at, at uh, large corporations and say, "Look at what they are doing to the planet. Look at their emissions." And now we know it's it's odd that 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 uh, the uh, Arabian Amco or whatever they're called the, the petrochemical company in Saudi Arabia in Saudi Arabia are actually uh, fundraising at the moment uh, or they're selling shares at the moment because they're being proven to be the biggest polluter on the planet right so I, I yes. mean obviously obviously uh, you know uh, uh, fossil fuels should all stay in the ground at this point without any exception so I don't know why this they're obviously raising money for as you know yourself in in our world uh, what tends to happen is we, t- if we have a budget, the budget is fifty percent development, fifty percent marketing, and sometimes that marketing is is highly weighted towards PR, especially if you're doing if you're British Petroleum uh, digging holes in the ocean uh, and stuff like that, you know. So that that kind of that kind of uh, that, that kind of business practices and the kind of profit oriented. I think Gene Roddenberry had it right, and our old friend um, Lee Sheldon. Uh, on mm. Tina G, you remember the the, uh, the next generation. Mm. Uh, you know that whole idea, that whole idea of of uh, a different a different sense of cashless society or whatever. So capitalism, you know, uh, you can't use the word socialism because it's so uh, it's so misunderstood and people immediately conflate it with communism and they immediately conflate it with the idea of of. Uh, you know, uh, bare uh, bread shelves in in supermarkets and stuff like that. Uh, because as we all know, everybody gets everything right first time. Hmm. No? I think I think we. I mean, yeah. looking at the Nordic countries, it's it's uh, what we have is the is the socialist socialism, but on a strong foundation of of 
capitalistic incentives to and then the welfare welfare state on top of that which is you know the result of the result of uh, of uh, of the combination of the two in a sense well you see just to kind of pull some of this stuff together then uh you know, what we understand is everyone screams about, uh, you know, I'm not giving a, a Facebook my data anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, let me know about the privacy uh, rights I have in relation to that particular uh, downloading that app. Uh, or, or I won't use that particular browser because I know it tracks my, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I know it tracks every uh, keystroke and I know it tracks, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there's a, a heat map of, of where I put my cursor. So I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to give that information. I don't want to give that data rather out. Uh, <clears throat> but you see, this is what's happening. What's happening in the current kind of surveillance society is that once we sign up to these things, what we're doing is we're feeding the machine. You know, uh, and I mean, I've, I have a, a, a this is kind of central, I think, to, to everything that we that we speak about. Uh, about media today, you know, media and mediation and CS Pierce and communication and all that sort of stuff. And the idea, the concepts of how do we frame media and how do we think about media? And of course, um, you know, traditionally we think about own shared and paid media. There have been three forms of media and now, of yeah. course, uh, stolen is, is the fourth one, of course. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with the. I'm sure you're familiar with the. Uh, if you ever look up the Cannes Lion 2015 winner, it's the XC60. Yeah. You know that famous yeah. ad for for the Super Bowl. So yeah. we know that. We, so we know that. We know that. You know, media today is not just uh, media today is not just an interaction exercise. You know, media today for us is about uh, emotional connection. It's about. Uh, uh, it's something that I explored uh, back in 2015 when I wrote about a thing called digital vitalism, uh, which what's, is what's that? Yeah. Uh, well, well, to me, uh, vitalism, of course, is a very, very long tradition of, of of understanding the human condition in terms of having some kind of vital energy or land vital, uh, as Henri Bergson called it, the, the the spark of energy in yourself that, that animates you. The connection between us and technology at a very basic level from it, it helped us kill our prey and, and, and you know, to we built huts and created fire and etc. Yeah. I'm not going to do the whole yeah, steam. Yeah, yeah and, but we survived with the aid of this technology. And what has happened in recent years, you know, that I have a background in media, I have a background yes. in theater and multimedia yeah. and computer games. But prior to that, I was it was in electronics. It was in analog electronics. It was in industrial mechanical and production engineering. It was... Like now we have we have platforms we have uh, operating systems and something that we spoke about earlier was you, you know a move from a move from uh, Apple to the Android from iOS to Apple like what you're doing there is you're actually just moving from one product system to another product system yes absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, so the product system in the Apple has iTunes, it has its OS, it has uh, all the various different uh, uh, services that it sells you, and now iMoney and i, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, and I suppose, uh, you know, the, the iPhone itself, 
has now become a witness in terms of surveillance capitalism, in terms of how it monitors our every move and all of the data that is generated as a result of that. You know, and that's a high level of sophistication and that's a high level of complexity because there's huge amounts of data that all need to be processed, etc. And that, but the thing about it is we would imagine if I was still working and operating in that kind of analog paradigm, mm-hmm. Uh, and not the binary digital digital paradigm that we're currently in, uh, it would be unmanageable to be able to to be able to process that information. Absolutely, but what has happened? Yeah. yeah. But, but you see, what has happened is exactly what has happened in my experience, which is you know even early media. Uh, you know, uh, even print media using something like Quark Express, which was on a Macintosh, which was how you would produce long before InDesign or, or, or yeah, any yeah. of the Adobe. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they had a, a serious number of keystrokes. It has a, a huge kind of menu of very almost esoteric knowledge required in order to be able to produce this thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and what yeah, has I remember happened, those days, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know. And like, and what has happened, of course, is that uh, we constantly get abstracted from that now, right? So we're getting abstracted from the complexity. So, I mean, in the marketer's world, uh, the ideal, uh, the ideal sort of uh, application is a big red button that says "Buy now," you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what is required of the consumer is to one action, uh, which is to press my thumb on this button, and that is sort of like the holy grail for for a lot of marketers. Because what we're what we're doing is we're re- you're reducing down the interaction of just a simple tactile, very quick millisecond decision to to interact with this piece of technology. Uh, and so we've gone from technological uh, interaction that involved complexity, you know, a, a set of knowledge, uh, and then probably relatively complex, slow processes that the vast majority of people couldn't understand and so therefore couldn't interact with. But now with the development of all these various different, uh, in the first instance, uh, operating systems and then platforms on top of those operating systems and then even apps and windows, etc., and pop-ups and stuff, you know, the, the interactions that occur now between the average uh, Joe uh, on the internet uh, or through the phone, because let's be honest, most of the uh, I remember many years ago, uh, uh, the Eric Smith uh, said, "Like you're never too early to be, uh, you're never too late to be early in mobile." You know what I mean? And people kind of laugh. People kind of went, "Yeah, well, what's all that about?" Um, and we're, we're still at that point. We're still, you know, it's it's still not too late uh, to to do things with mobile phones that haven't been done before. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a very famous. Uh, you know, I mean, so we're in this we're in this kind of innovation cycle where uh, you know technology is playing a central role. And you know, a number of years ago, I was at a conference in in uh, NUAG, and at the end of it, I was asked um, the question I was asked was like, so where do you see the future of electronic literature and, and digital creativity? And I said, well, the future, <laughs> ironically, is uh, is all about uh, the human. Mm. You know. And people Absolutely. looked at me and yeah, yeah, and people and people looked at me and said like, well, that's not that's not the answer I wanted, nor is it the answer I expected. Um, but as as we know, these technologies, what they're doing is they're using the data that we provide freely to them on a on a massive scale uh, to model human behavior. Um, 
you know, so there's a funny like one of the one of the yeah, one of the things we said we'd probably end up talking about today w- would be gamification. You know, the application yeah, of kind of games rules, mechanics, and all that sort of stuff. And you see, part of the part of the issue for me, of course, is as I'm sure uh, you know, I, t- I think it Christy Dana on here at one point. Uh, 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 you certainly would have a, some people from uh, from computer games, uh, my own kind of background. Uh, you know, part of part of the issue is that you hear people talking quite a lot about um, the the magic circle. You know, uh, because that's the concept. That's the, that's the concept that's applied to kind of gaming in general. Mm-hmm. Is that we enter we enter into this other world. We enter yeah. into. Uh, that has its own rules that has and of course so people like you and I who are interested in stories who are interested in uh, you know the the uh, Jeff Gomez world building transmedia type uh, or Alison Norrington's uh, ideas around uh, around around world building uh, and transmedia storytelling etc uh, you know this is something that this is something ha- that has uh, obviously existed from chess or before uh, that we are in this world that has a different set of rules that, and we mm-hmm. we we, we actually step into that now. Early researchers like uh, uh, Brian Sutton Smith, or well, he's not that early, but uh, uh, you know, uh, someone like Hussinger, uh who looked at uh, the you know early game playing man or Homo Ludens, you know, from ludology and all that sort of idea. Uh, you know, he, he didn't define it as he didn't define it as a magic circle. <clears throat> it was actually defined as a sacred circle. Right, and I'm kind of coming full circle back around to your question now about digital vitalism, if you don't mind. <laughs> right, so 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 uh, he he defined it as a, as as a sacred circle, and this is something that uh, I'm interested in in terms of these abstractions that occur. I mean, we've all read about uh, Mihaly, yes, Mihaly, and the, the the ideas of creativity, flow, and invention, and we get into that flow of creativity where we exclude the world, and we're in our own internal new sort of space, uh, mental space or emotional mental space that allows us to, even intellectual space I suppose, that allows us to progress what we're doing. So we've all been in that flow, whether it's playing a game, you know, listening to an opera, watching an opera, uh, listening to Mozart or, uh, you know, drawing, painting, writing a story. We've all been in that space. Uh, And you know, part of that space it resembles the it resembles the uh, the sacred circle. You know that the uh, so you're in a particular kind of emotional state, or you're in a particular uh, psychological state, I suppose, that allows you to uh, connect with. Uh, what Seamus Heaney, the Irish uh, Nobel winning poet, called the deep well. You know, mm. so you connect with some kind of uh, it's and it it's it's kind of Jungian, I suppose, in some sense, or it's certain Freudian. You know, that you're connecting with a subconscious or an unconscious or a, a some part of yourself. And you know, so digital vitalism was about that question. Was about you know, if you use technology to create things. Uh, you know, traditionally we think of the binary of the live person and the dead uh, computer tool. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, because as as programmers, one of the things you learned at the beginning is garbage in, garbage out. You know what I mean? So uh, it depends on what your inputs are. Uh, you know, you yeah, can't make you a silk Porsche out of it. For sure. Yeah, you know, you, you can't make a silk Porsche out of a sow's ear. So, uh, I mean, if you put rubbish into the program, you're going to get rubbish out of it. No matter yeah. what, a fanta- you know, what fantastic algorithms you've written or structures that you've created uh, or code that you've uh, – and I mean, and so this was all part of – this was all part of my own explanation or my own explorations of – the relationship between 
a creative person and technology and so uh so 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 there is a theory there around that but uh, i mean i couldn't just present the theory so i decided to personify the theory mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, I, sense, and I, what I did yeah. was yeah, well i mean you know you tell the story it's if you've got a if you've got a story to tell sometimes it's good to have uh, as we know, a good character to tell the story that people can, can relate to. Uh, and I mean, I'm one of the things that we learn in marketing, of course, about brands, um, uh, a guy called Dallin, uh, who writes quite a lot about um, a brand narrative, you know, so that we create we create these stories. And I mean, and this is something that you do with companies with your own uh, yeah, business. Sure. Uh you know, you, you help them tell their own story in a way that allows them to connect better with their, with their. Uh, I mean, it's not simple customer relationship management. It's it's about uh, redefining the brand, and brands are, of course, are about values, beliefs, and rituals. Mm. You know, which is funny enough, what tribes are about as well. You know, uh, communities can be about. So this is why brands and all that sort of stuff connect so well. But you know, people connect with people. That's, you know, that's that's especially in this age of uh, surveillance capitalism, especially in this age of everything I do is being monitored and possibly monetized by an algorithm somewhere that's connected to a cloud, you know. Uh, and I mean, these are all these are all stuff that this this is all stuff that I would have um explored with businesses and explored in my teaching as well uh, around uh you know the commercial exploitation of these ideas uh, for profit. Do you feel that you know? people are becoming more savvy regarding this, though? I mean, or is it that uh, algorithms and and what the things created to uh, make use of what what people's basically gut reactions to to different kind of uh, inputs and different kind of exposures and experiences? Do you feel that people are becoming more savvy regarding this, or are marketing still a step ahead? Do they still get us to? to react the way they want us to react and get the re- get the rise out of us that they would want to well i think that you know something like the cambridge analytica scandal was a fantastic development in terms of you know the revolution by the way will be a revolution like most others uh, in that it will begin with non cooperation you know mm-hmm. and i think the non i think the non cooperation will be no you can't have my data and you know what it doesn't matter how attractive this particular platform is I'm not going to participate because I know what you're going to do is you're going to start behaviorally modeling or, yeah. uh, or sorry, you know, uh, based on and then, you know, uh, my dopamine levels will be affected. And, and we know, I mean, one of the things that, you know, every every cycle you hear, you know, the latest one is, of course, that uh, oh, data is the new oil. Uh, no, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's actually worse than oil because mm-hmm. you know uh, when you burn off oil, that's it; it's gone, and we've 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 uh, put all the monoxides uh, and all the undesirable chemicals into the. The difficulty with that is you can reprocess it and go through all that again, so we can burn up even more energy, double checking uh, our analysis. You know, uh, and unfortunately, you know, uh, we have become entirely obsessed with analytics. You know, uh, because large companies like Walmart, uh, you know, uh, Tesco, major chains, uh, they 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 monitor every sale. So they monitor 
customer pattern, be a customer buyer patterns and behavioral patterns and meteorological conditions and road temperatures and all sorts of stuff so that they know because we're doing just in time management, we're doing supply chain management. Every time we save ourselves, every time we save ourselves a a percentage of a penny, Mm -hmm. it's all about it's all about scale and the profitability of scale, which is, you know, back to the Kevin Kelly thing about the long tail. And you'll always find a critical mass of people on the Internet who want who will connect with what it is that you're doing. And I think that that's fairly true uh, in a in a in a in a relatively uneducated uh, society. But today's society, you know, one of the benefits of access to information, of course, would be that you would be able to make a, a rational decision based on the information provided to you. But unfortunately for us, we live in a we live in a, um, an era of, of misinformation, false information, fake news, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, so people's people's, you know, what what constitutes veracity, truth uh, in your data today, you know, um, so these are all questions. These are all fantastic questions, and I mean, a lot of the answers now, of course, uh, are provided by people who know nothing about, uh, who know absolutely nothing about programming or nothing about uh, technology, but can, you know, they have a fantastic line in patter about uh, artificial intelligence and what mm-hmm. constitutes artificial intelligence. You know, I used to teach my students about um, uh, Elisa, the uh, yeah, 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 the Rogerian therapist thing. Uh, because of who, where I read that, you know, because um, uh, we shape the tools and the tools shape us, uh, which, of course, was attributed to McClune, but uh, was actually his uncle who said it, believe it or not. Uh, but that is that is reiterated again. Uh, I think it's Weisenbaum who wrote about that and said that, you know, well, if you and this is something that you if you have a I know you do fishing. No, you do a lot of fishing, don't you? Or you did do yeah, a lot I of do, fishing. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, no, you probably do. A, you, you do ice fishing, which is a somewhat different thing than if you're going trout fishing in Ireland. You can get into a boat and you row out into the middle of a lake and off you go. Right. And one of the things that he talks about, of course, is this idea of an awe. Uh, an ore is just a lump of wood to the average Joe Soap. But if you are a raw, if you are somebody who, then it is one of those kind of extensions of you, as as McLuhan would say. And as well as that, you know, the shape of your ore and how, how it's been made over time uh, will uh, shape your own stroke with that ore. Yeah. So we used, we used the tools and the tools use us. And what is happening here is that the tools that we're currently using are, you know, especially on, on the larger platforms, are being configured in a way that actually manipulates us, that manipulates our behaviors. That I mean, and that's part of what came out in that hooked book. So I think that, you know, part of the revolution that I'm talking about is that um, – uh, I remember that there's a fantastic there's a fantastic line of Groucho Marx, of course, that said, uh, you know, authenticity. If you can fake that, you've got it made. You know, uh, and and yeah, that is, yeah, and and I mean, and that's, uh, and, you know, that's where all of this leads to. It leads to trust, uh, truth, uh, and authenticity. And how can you do that? Well, I mean, the only way you can do that is to be, you know, completely and utterly ethical. Mm. Uh, and and to be transparent and to you know uh, not steal people's information and uh, and not manipulate people yeah. and like so we're in, we're probably in an adolescent stage of all these platforms if we're even that far you know I mean mm. the sophistication of these things in a in, in a number of years time it's interesting when I hear people talk about uh, you know I'm looking five years ahead I'm looking ten years ahead I mean. Um, 
that, there's pretty pointless looking beyond nine months, truthfully, <laughs> you know, because that's the, you know, that's, that's the that's cycle. The scope, yeah. And we know yeah. that, you know, yeah, you know, the hardware software kind of cycle where the, the hardware is going to get, uh, the hardware is going to get more sophisticated, double in speed and half in price. Uh, he said 18 months uh, more, but it's probably around nine months now because even that cycle itself has, has, has become a speeded so, up yeah so, yeah, so yeah, just, you know, just because i've been hurt, i what rings true to me is what i've been talking to to people about that it's more valuable instead of uh, trying to reach a mass audience than instead trying to uh, have a core niche of the audience and through them then if if your product or your story or whatever it is that you're creating if it holds up through that uh bit part of the audience you can reach the masses but like a core as you were relating to what you were just talking about then like sincerity is is a word that i i kind of have kind of like when it comes to trying to reach people with whatever it is that they they need to be reached with uh in in order to have some sort some form of longevity with a message or with a product or with a story or, or a brand or or what have you well sincerity is a fantastic word uh you know to be sincere um but I mean, part of the difficulty around being since you can be absolutely sincere and be very wrong. You know, I mean, one of the things that really gets me is yeah. uh, uh, one of the things that really gets me is that this concept of passion. I am passionate about. Now, I can say this from a I can say this from the perspective of being an expert, right? Because there's two ways to be an expert. One is to write a book, uh, and the other one is to do a PhD. And I've done both, so I can call myself an expert. Now, the only thing I, the only thing I'm actually expert in, despite all the kind of knowledge I have, is me. You know, and know thyself is obviously the 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 you know uh, the the most difficult challenge of all is to actually know who you really are and what. So some people who some people who are very very sincere are like some of those people who are very very passionate about things. You know, it, it comes from a good place and. They are they are well meaning and they are being sincere, but it's not worth a hill of beans because fundamentally, uh, you know, being passionate about something, I can be passionate about something, but be really bloody well terrible at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I can be passionate about crocheting, but I can keep sticking myself with the needle. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you know, so uh, so there's a there's a lot more goes on. I think the word sincerity is absolutely, you know, it's 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 part of a vocabulary. Uh, that that should start to you know, these words have been in business a long long time you know mm -hmm. uh but then so has snake oil <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> so so i mean and the other and the other thing too is uh, you know the pressures that are on businesses today compared to you know no one is content to make a living anymore mm. uh everybody wants to everybody wants to uh rule the world as as uh, tears of fears would say you know yeah. uh and and I think that that comes across. No matter how sincere you are, uh, ambition will leak into it somewhere. I mean, I'm at the point where I really don't care anymore. Uh, not that I ever really did, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> but yeah. uh, there's a fantastic book came out uh, uh, many years ago. I read called "Don't Ever Get Famous," and it was probably the best advice ever. You know, uh, because it just it it. I, so I, you know, it's it's nice to have a small cadre of people who believe. Uh, in what you do, because you're doing it with that sincerity you talk about, yeah. but you're doing it you're doing it openly, you're doing it transparently. You are, sure, yeah. uh, and you're all, yeah, and you know, uh, I mean, back in, 
uh, you know, back in um, 1999, um, I mentioned this previously. I was invited to uh, I was invited to Tokyo by Sony to uh, hear about the PlayStation Two. Uh, um, uh, development specifications and and learn about the IDE and all that sort of stuff. And it was done on the cover of the uh, under the cover of the celebration of the fiftieth uh, the fiftieth uh, fifty millionth sale uh, of of a PlayStation fifty million PlayStation sold. But we were all there to learn about the PlayStation Two, etc., and all that. And I developed a game at the time called Danger McGee, the Irish Eco Warrior Goose. And I spent a considerable amount of money on it, and I basically hawked my house, and I put everything I had into it. And uh, I went to Ubisoft in France because uh, I had met uh, Yves Gilmore in the Atani Hotel in, in Tokyo, and he said, yeah, you should talk to my people about what you're doing. Uh, so I did, and I ended up talking to the third-party acquisition guy in, in the UK, and they said, we love this. This is fantastic. This is this is an, an eco-warrior goose. So this is a guy who uh, you're playing a main character here who is uh, trying to save the planet by destroying some of the industrial systems. And of course, all these various different systems had dependencies and everything else. So it was quite a complex game, but it was a fun, uh, uh, was a fun platform or laugh along. And it was the first one ever to use Havoc's physics engine because we were partnered up with them when they were called Telekinesis Research. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, they loved it. And I got 50% of the budget, 50% of the development budget uh, uh, pledged to me by Ubisoft. Uh, Sony loved it and then I went out to the venture capital uh, community and nobody understood it mm-hmm. and the question and, and, and this is what I heard really this is what I heard who is interested in games who is interested in the environment <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. for me that's that's exactly 20 years ago that's exactly 20 years ago you know so I mean I, I'm used to people completely and utterly ignoring what I say and and I mean and that's the old thing about you know first they mock you then they laugh at you and you know then they fear you or whatever it is I can't remember exactly I mean I don't give a shit about any of that I'm sorry for cursing but uh, you know <laughs> no I'm problem. just ha- I, I'm just happy to be happy you know and you have to make your mind up you have to make your mind up to be happy can I just finish the thing on digital vitalism if you yes don't mind? of course yeah sorry yeah yeah so I end up uh, and this is something that uh, you, you mentioned to me earlier about the keynote address I did in the in University College Cork there back in July, and uh, I also did a traversal of uh, I did a traverse because they they wanted to archive it in the Electronic Literature Lab in Washington State University. So they asked me to actually just do a, a quick run through some of the work. Um, now the work is just a website called digitalvitalism.com, right? But what it is is it's the story of Ireland's first uh, digital poet, and it's about how he comes to the realization of his um, uh, his love of technology. It's something that Bruno Latour has written about, obviously, on a philosophical level. But uh, this is about telling the story of a, of a person's uh, of a person's creative engagement with technology and where they end up. So he starts off writing brick poems. So he starts off writing code in the back of a van, and he ends up creating uh, ludic poetry in the vein of of um, uh, of kind of Persian Sufi poetry that you play uh, you play the poetry game, and there's video poetry in there, and all sorts of other interactive poetry. And it shows his oeuvre and it shows his development as an artist and what it does is, but it's also a narrative. It's a, it's a, 
it's it's an inversion of uh, uh, Nabokov's pale fire. <laughs> the, which, of course, is something that we hear all the time uh, when we talk about narrative, when we talk about interactive narrative, when we talk about the concept of reformed assumptions and narrative. You know, as we progress through stories, we like to be, uh, you know, uh, we like some things to be reinforced, but we also like to have our assumptions challenged and, uh, and changed as we make progress. You know, so that's the, those, those sorts of things. So, uh, you know, I wrote my first computer game in 1983. It was a very simple branch and narrative thing called um, Lost in Kulak. I wrote it in, in basic on a, on a Commodore 64. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you would have imagined that it's <laughs> – which is why I said to you, you know, if you remember when we met in – uh, I think it was 2008 uh, in MIP. We, uh, you were you were doing your thing, which was fantastic, and uh, I had just spent quite a significant amount of money on uh, doing my thing. Which again, uh, people said, uh, "I don't understand. What do you mean by transmedia? What do you mean by <laughs> what do you mean by yeah. interactive narrative? Yes, yes, and how can we possibly have interactive narrative on television? No, that's you know? impossible." Yeah, yeah. So, and 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 that's what this all comes down to. And I mean, it's, and it's the question that you you asked me about niche and tribes and groups and brand aficionados and and different ways that people sort of congregate around ideas and congregate around values, beliefs, rituals. Um, that seems to be true, but it's not actually true. Uh, because what we're really dealing with is we're dealing with personalization. You know, uh, it depends. Like, you know, uh, the, the as to say, the, the first rule of Dunning-Kruger Club is you don't know you're in Dunning-Kruger Club, you know. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, yeah, and so there's a vast majority of people out there and, you know, for want of a better phrase, and I, I don't mean this to insult them, but they're gullible. And they're gullible in the sense that they don't possess enough information. And if they do have the information, they don't possess their own individual, uh, you know, uh, intellectual power to be able to process it in a way that says this is something I should do or this is something I shouldn't do. They can't make they can't make informed decisions about interactions with technology because they accept it at face value. The trust is there. And that's what a lot of these companies are aiming for the likes of you and I who are completely media literate who understand you know the back end of things you know because most as you know yeah. most most uh, you know most web uh, and media uh, uh, technological in, uh, instances are around you know back end databases and networks and then front end UX stuff about you know um, you know Nielsen's heuristics all that sort of idea about how do you how do you create systems that that people feel comfortable within, yes. you know, uh, and, yeah. But you and I know that uh, Simon and uh, the average Joe Soap doesn't. So it's not even about. So those people will willingly gravitate to groups because, in some senses, they're going to the groups because uh, they need reassurance. They need to be told that yeah, you do know about what you're doing. Yeah, you are welcome here. Yeah, we do have a kind of a uh, a common bond. We do have common values, etc. But but really where all of this is going and, and where it is at the moment is it's going to back to the human <clears throat> and the individual personalizations. So all of that kind of mass media marketing that we do, when we think about all of the, you know, the, 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 the marketing mixes and, and uh, it comes down to the, the individual human. And of course, as marketing 
uh, professionals, we have a full range of marketing technologies that allow us to do that, that allow us to, uh, you know, uh, around advertising and promotion content and experience, all that sort of stuff. And that's, you know, that's all part of today's uh, marketing technology landscape. In 2015, there was a fantastic um, cover of the Harvard Business Review said the rise of the marketing technologist. So it's no good to oh, come really? with your okay. <laughs> yeah yeah so you know so there's no there's no need for you to come with your you, you can come armed with your MBA uh, you know uh, and in parentheses afterwards uh, marketing after it and so I have a, a master of business administration in marketing but uh, unless I actually have a full understanding of the kind of technological aspects of mm-hmm. contemporary marketing uh, I'm a bit of a dinosaur already you know so that's why there was a huge wave then of there's a huge wave then of digital marketing initiatives of the move to and I mean there's some central things in there that people just simply don't understand and it's not because uh, it's just never been pointed out to them like mm. it's, not- it's a, a little bit of a herd mentality though I mean it's in the same way that if you get the if you get the sponsored Facebook message that tells you you should join this and this group that talks about this and these issues and you see that five of your friends are already members then you go like oh I could probably join that group since those people are there and it's you sort of like uh, give up a bit of your own independence and your self-sufficiency into the hands of uh, a notion of uh, if everyone else is doing it then it must be okay yeah, but you see, these are all based on value judgments that we make when we interact with technology. And I mean, the problem about that is it's back to this whole concept of you and I can make informed judgments because in some senses we've seen behind the curtain. Like, so we're not still staring at the great odds. We know where the levers are and we see the people pulling them, you know. So we're not we're not enamored with that whole concept of, of spectacle, you know, Uh and like that guy, the board idea about spectacle, which, you know, a lot of us, uh, uh, if you look into sort of like, um, uh, you know, visual theory, et cetera, you end up eventually looking at the society of spectacle. And one of the things about spectacle is it's actually a social phenomena. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so we love that we all, and I mean, you know, tell any filmmaker what, you know, why do people sit in a dark room and look at, look at uh, films together? Even though recently I've read, well, people aren't doing it anymore. It's really a lot of a lot of films are being made for children because they're and young adolescents because they're the only ones really going to the movies now. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, because and I mean, and this is central to all of this, right? Uh, uh, let me t- let me talk about two things, Simon. Right? One is uh, one is uh, the concept of the home as sanctuary. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I remember many, many years ago when I began looking at at, at uh, console development because I'd been in kind of like PC development. I was looking at console development. Uh, there was a fantastic article written around 1994, I think 95, uh, called "The Battle for the Living Room." Okay, and that was about which device in our living room will be the kind of central hub. Will it be the telephone? Will it be the uh, now? This is 1995, so 96 yeah. was really, you know, was really when the internet became the World Wide Web and actually became what we know today as the internet, you know, or Web two maybe or Web three or whatever it is we're calling it this way, uh, you know. So that concept that in your sanctuary there was going to be a particular device that would uh, uh, that would uh, allow you to. Uh, create and consume media 
uh, or, or the family to create and consume media. Where it was going to be was it was going to be in the home, in the sanctuary. I think part of the difficulty that we have in this kind of age of surveillance capitalism is that every device that we have now has the capacity to track us and has the capacity, and specifically in the home. I mean, and if you go and read that book I was speaking about, you know, she cites uh, uh, a thermostatic control that was used in in the home aware project uh, uh, in uh, one of the universities in 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 um, might have been Georgia Tech, not quite sure, yeah. uh, uh, where they were doing smart home stuff. Because the smart home, you see, the smart home uh, market is supposed to be like by by twenty twenty three, it's going to be thirty six billion. You know, so that sounds like a, that sounds like an attractive yeah. market for a lot of capitalists. <laughs> you know, let's get in there and grab some of the market share in there. You know, uh, so there is a there is a there is a drive towards controlling uh, the information flow in the home that is traditionally a sanctuary. And part of the difficulty, part of the kind of doors that people use to. Uh, access that uh, is this idea as you just described it of well oh here's a group with my friends in it uh, you know friends whom I trust uh, how does the, how does this come about? How does this? How do we make these value judgments about stuff like this? I mean, it's very simple, and I'm, I'm sorry to kind of go back into the kind of marketing world for a second, but you know, when you when we look at when we look at uh, uh, people making judgments, one of the major kind of one of the major uh, you know yourself from running projects. Quality, time, and cost are are are, uh, are always the controls in a project. Quality, time, yes. cost, and scope. And scope, right? Scope, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and for a lot of a lot of differentiators now in a, in a saturated market, quality is the defining thing. You know, quality is uh, if it's if it's the quality I want, then I'm prepared to pay a little bit more and I'll wait a little bit longer if I have mm-hmm. to. If it's the quality that I want, you mm-hmm. know, that's presume that's presuming you're not that price sensitive or whatever it is, you know. But we understand that we understand that price is just part of a value exchange as well, right? So looking at value exchange. Um, how do we determine the value? How do we determine quality and what is going to be if, – if we are looking at – if you're looking at a pair of uh, you know, new skis to go fishing uh, and uh, you're not really familiar with the brand but they're, they're, there is a picture of the skis on the net and it shows their weight and it shows their finish. and it's, I, I know nothing about skis so I'm, you can stop me at any stage here. But basically you can judge the quality of the skis by looking at them and by reading information, right? So what you have there is you have a product that is high in search qualities. Mm, yes. Okay. So you look, yeah. So you have a product there that's high in search qualities and you're saying, yeah, okay. You know, and that, that can be true as well for television series. It can be true for, uh, because you look at, you know, you look at a, a cast list that has all, all uh, you know, people who you, you, you've in some way connected with, or you're a fan of, or you've seen the prior work and you like what they did, or they have a particular, uh, you know, so the, the, the ingredients of, of the product are on show, whatever the type of product is. And then we get into concepts like, um, well, you get into concepts like, uh, you know, food and uh, food and and entertainment that you have to experience. Okay, you have to experience these things in order to be able to make a judgment about their quality. Uh, 
So if I go and I have a really nice uh, uh, dinner in a, in a Michelin-starred restaurant uh, and, I, you know, I, I enjoy it immensely, I can tell by the flavors and the tastes and how I felt afterwards and, you know, uh, the bill, <laughs> uh, just how much quality. Uh, was involved yeah. in, was involved in that, but then we get into and this is where it gets really interesting, right? Then we get into the whole concept of SME, mm-hmm. of, of of specialist offerings, of subject matter stuff, uh, of anything from auto dentistry to to accounting. Uh, I mean, I take for instance accounting, right? Um, uh, you have a fantastic accountant that works for your company. Uh, Simon, he does yes. a fantastic. He does a fantastic job for you, does he? Well, uh, you know, unless you yourself are an accountant, you don't really know. You know, the only way you're going to judge is at the end of the year if the taxman says, "Oh, look, we owe you some money." You go, Gee, "I have a fantastic accountant," <laughs> you know, or or if uh, if. Uh, you know, you get a, a extra demand for tax. You haven't paid enough VAT or whatever it is. You're going, that accountant, he's, he's, he's rubbish. He's not what I thought he was. You know what I mean? So you can't really judge, even though you've experienced the service, even though you've experienced the product, you still can't judge the quality of it, right? Uh, because you're waiting for some kind of final outcome that's even after the fact, probably after you've paid yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Now, those qualities uh, – you know, uh, uh, credence qualities, as they're called, right? Those credence qualities are, uh, uh, we rely, so, you know, I was chatting with Simon, he says he's the best, he doesn't have to pay any tax for the next three years because of his accountant, what his accountant has set up for him. Fantastic. He must be doing all that corporation tax stuff in Dublin again. You know what I mean? Uh, he has set it, he has set it up. So, I, well, I want to use that guy. I want because Simon recommends him and I trust Simon, right? So the sincerity is not coming from the provider of the service or the service itself. It's coming from Simon because he's mm-hmm. in kind of like my trust circle or he is somebody whom I respect. I respect his opinion and I respect more so than his opinion, his uh, the storytelling around his experiences. Mm-hmm. So this is why we decide to click on it's because of the people who we trust because they're the ones that provide us f- with credence qualities information mm. when it comes to when it comes to uh, uh, those things that we haven't experienced or those things that we don't know. So I mean, th- these are huge, and this is where AI comes in, of course, because uh, you know uh, AI uh, is used quite a lot in recommendation systems. Yes, it's absolutely. U- you know. Yeah, you know, so it's used to filter out. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, uh, if you're like me, you know, if somebody says, this is the most fantastic thing I've ever seen. I've never <laughs> I've never enjoyed anything as much. I'm going, yeah, you know, yeah, my right. natural skept, my natural skept. <laughs> yeah, that old, that old. Uh, <laughs> uh, the guy called Jeffrey Wagner, who wrote a fantastic book called The Wisdom, on, uh, the Wisdom of Words. And he talks yeah. about that, where he talks, where he talks about the uh, uh, spoonerisms and uh, and the double negative equaling a positive. So yeah, right, as the as the double positive equal the negative, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so yeah, right uh, to all of that, Simon. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have to 
ask you one final question because I'm I'm anxious of not running the podcast too long. But I I'd love to have you on again because there's <laughs> a lot of stuff to delve into. I feel we only just scratched the surface. But going back to what you were talking about uh, back in the days, trying to talk to people about your game, trying to talk to people about your transmedia project, uh, people. Uh, in acquisition positions or in in any other positions in those companies not getting it is there anything that you feel that you're talking about now that people are not getting that but they will be getting in say 10 15 years time uh well you know uh this is yeah absolutely i mean like what's happened but for what's happened for me is i spent as you know i spent the last number of years as a course director in Dublin Business School um, uh, over quite a significant cohort of, of students, uh, um, uh, courses, staff, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I, I've, I've, there's been an aggregation of, of, of my own kind of uh, experiences of, um, you know, the Americans say fail is first attempt in learning and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I worked a lot with researchers and PhD people in, when I was, uh, there's a place called the Innovation Academy, the UCD, TCD Innovation Academy. So I would have did um, – the the it's you know not, some of the stuff isn't fully formed so if I sound a little bit kind of like a lunatic it's it's just because it's it's still <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know so I went back I went back uh, you know with with masters and PhDs and degrees and all sorts of stuff and lots of different experience um, you know from selling t-shirts off my arm at concerts to running uh, you know some of the uh, major uh, flagship titles for Microsoft PC and Xbox, and working on on you know very significant uh, uh, pressurized products and stuff like that, and and, and development cycles, etc. Um, you know, I look at th- this question about you know uh, who. Uh, you know, pathfinding is really what it's about. Like, so where is like we all we all trod the path? Oh, there, you know, the, the the gold is over this way. So, uh, you know, in those gold rushes, you know, the the the, the path towards where where, where we're all going to start mining is, is well worn by those that come before us. And along the way, you know, the people who make the money are the people who are selling us the tools to prospect. You know, Bill Gates said that many years ago uh, about, you know, in gold rushes, it's the people who sell the picks and shovels that make all the money, not the people digging in the ground. Like yeah, one naturally. In, yeah, 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 you know. Uh, but, you know, th- this may sound very – but I I cannot see the system as it's currently constituted. I mean, wh- what's the window that you're talking about? Like what I'm working on at the moment is I'm working on uh, uh, a different reality ideas, okay, and, and what I'd say about that is that, um, uh, I, well, you know, the back in back in uh, in um, in 2006, the the company I had was Digital Interactive Media Enterprises, right? And people were saying to me, "Digital Interactive Media, what what's that?" Like, you know, and I was saying, "Well, yeah. you know, uh, like I've I've had Clever Celt as a site since 1996, so that's me as a digital artist." doing stuff I don't care about uh, in in terms of I, I don't care how it's received. That's me uh, experimenting with what it is I want to do, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, and, I, you know, and I've known this, I've no need. I, the loc- My locus of evaluation is family within me, you know, so I don't need people to endorse me and tell me, oh, you're fantastic. 
sticker. This is great, you know. Uh, but I actually have, uh, you know, I'm I'm part of a new startup uh, called Fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, well, actually, you know, and I have the Fantastic.ie uh, URL and all that sort of stuff. And because uh, we're based in Dublin, and as I said previously, before we kind of started recording, was you know the Silicon Doc stuff going on, and we've got a huge ecosystem here for AI for you know fintech is huge here at the minute all the DLT stuff that we do um, you know so digital disruption uh, you know uh, but people are still talking about you know the, the move from bricks and mortar business to the move into you know the information uh, uh, the, uh, the information society that we're definitely living in or this you know again to borrow that phrase the surveillance capitalism that we live in you know, and I think capitalism as a as a as a as a model, and we can see this through crowdfunding and and, and crowdsourcing, and the idea that I mean, I have a site as well called Producers.org, right, which is about mm-hmm. people who produce people who produce and use. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And rather than being a scenario whereby uh, I charge you and you charge me and all that sort of stuff, you know, I'll make something and you can use it, but then I need to get some of yours. To, so kind of almost like a barter system or whatever else. Um, you know, because I think that the monetization and how that is going in terms of making money and what makes you happy um, – you know, I know it's 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 always preferable to cry in the back of a, a Mercedes than in a Ford Fiesta. <laughs> you know what saying. I mean? I I, yeah, I, I, I could know? agree. I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, but there does come there does come a point where um, there does come a point where uh, people yearn for more meaningful exchange, and I think that that's what fantastic is about. Uh, at some level, it's about more meaningful exchange. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, there's a friend of mine, um, uh, you know, if you think about the, the, the logo, uh, uh, logocentrism or, or, or uh, logotherapy or Viktor Frankl's ideas about meaning and search for meaning, and that's fundamentally mm-hmm. what we are, Simon, is we're meaning-making machines. We walk, or, we walk into any kind of environment, and the first thing we want to know is what does this mean? Or what does it mean to me, possibly, which is more? Uh, yeah. uh, and that, that those are the kind of ideas that I haven't really elaborated or elucidated on on, on exactly what we're doing. But what it, it's not exactly AR and it's not exactly VR, but it is otherworldly stuff is what I would say. And it's it's about otherness, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, um, and it's not – when I talk about otherness, I don't mean in that kind of uncanny valley sense. I mean in the in the – Michael Joyce sense of other mindedness in terms of like what I what I thought I had to do was there's a certain irony in this too of course is we were going to talk a lot about AI today and AI strategies and stuff like that we never got never touched on any of it next time next time yeah (laughs) you know uh, but uh, yeah so I mean like it's funny because uh, at a very very basic level you know stand up comedians do it all the time they create worlds with each individual joke and they invite you into them and most people go willingly because of what they're going to get from it. And they don't get money. As a matter of fact, they've paid to listen to this person in most instances. Uh, So there's those ideas, those ideas about what entices people to exchange. Uh, and, And increasingly, I think people are becoming more and more People are becoming more and more wary of the simple capitalist exchange because 
we, I think, as a society, feel we never win in that regard because yeah, it's, there is. It's a, not worth it. It's yeah, basically, yeah, 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 yeah. So what I'm looking at is I'm looking at modes of exchange that. Uh, you know, uh, obviously the company has to survive and live uh, as a company. So it needs it needs uh, to be fed with money, you know, but money uh, comes in various different forms. You know, uh, it's not all about uh, uh, marketers are no longer interested in transactional value. Anyway, transactional value is the lowest form of communication. What we want is we want uh, relational value. We want to be able to, you know, and every company that's out there is doing it. Is they're trying to build loyalty, they're trying to build uh, connection, they're trying to build uh, uh, relationships with with people who, uh, in some way, find resonance with our brand, or they find, you know, mm. uh, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that's you know, I mean, it's it's odd that I would talk about Fantastic as a brand because maybe I, I would say it's probably an anti-brand. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps that's the future of brands. Yes, fascinating talk, Michael. And uh, audio, AI. I'm writing these things down as topics for our next talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank, you, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast and uh, have a lovely. What is it? Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All day, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you.